This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. Okay, and we're back. Chelsea fans, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of early transfer excitement on the women's side, and I believe, you know, now... We've kind of taken the early storm with the new owners and we seem to have handed all of the drama over to the men's side. So things are kind of quiet on the King's Meadow front. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, that is also due to, however, you know, to the Im- Im- imminent commencement of the Euros. I can't get my words right. Anyway, where, you know, which are kicking off in England in less than a week. You know, and by the time this reaches you, um, you'll have 12 Chelsea players involved. So, you know what? We didn't want to miss any of that uh, over the summer. So we're here to kind of talk to you about the upcoming Euros and kind of all of the Chelsea players playing over there, where they're going to be playing, what they're going to do, what we think about them and, you know, what, what what's going to happen at the time, the end of end of July. And to kind of help us with all of this, we are joined by the Queen of the Hot Takes, Flo Lloyd Hughes. Flo, how are you feeling ahead of the Euros? How's it going? Good. Tired, but good. How are you guys doing? Excited. Yeah, not too bad. Excited? Are yeah. you? I mean, it's the how is the the hype levels over where you, where you are, Abdullah? Have they reached the fever pitch that Jesse's currently uh, <laughs> feeling? If 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 uh, you know what, I think all the hype is coming just from me because I probably don't know anybody else that's. They don't have posters up in Dubai here. advertising the women's not, not not yet, not yet. Maybe I need to. Maybe I need to be going down. Uh, you know, Dubai. It's on the roads in Dubai. I'm going like throwing up some posters or, or you know start talking to people because I seem to be the only one here who who's into it. Or maybe I haven't met the right people yet. You know, it could be one of the two. But uh, but either way. Um, good to have you back on second cap in. So uh, it's it's uh, it's going to be a fun one. If you know if you guys heard the last one, then I think you, you know what we're we're going to be in for. Right. So let's get into it. Um, look, we're we're going to be running through the group, you know, group by group before getting some predictions and how we think the tournament is going to play out. So I mean, let's just start off with 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 Group A, um, Norway. Let's start off with Norway and England in in both in the group. We'll start off with Norway. Norway has Marin Mielda and Gura Wrighton. While England has Fan Kirby, Millie Bright, Jess Carter, and Beth England representing Chelsea. Um, I mean, let's quickly, very quickly start with with Norway. I think, you know, watching Marimelda play play football again, you know, obviously she had the big injury. She's kind of back in, you know, she kind of was eased into Chelsea, didn't play too many minutes, but just enough um, to get some fitness back. And now kind of playing first team football, a lot of minutes for um you know, for uh, for Norway, I think is absolutely you know fantastic. Um, you know, I think, but it might feel like a big ask for Jesse. You know, what do you think of Marin playing for Norway and, and kind of coming in, going, being thrown into thick things? Yeah, I think Marin's clearly someone who's a very important player for Norway. She's obviously their captain. I can understand why they've gone straight back in with her. I don't think they're particularly blessed with lots of defensive talent, but. I do feel like kind of watching her partner with Maria Torres Dottir and some of these friendlies ahead of the tournament, it is a bit like chaos hours at points. Um, Marin feels kind it's of rusty throwback. and slow. It's not, it's not it's okay, a it's a throwback to the glory days, eh? <laughs> no, it's chaos hours because the glory days aren't so gloriful anymore, I don't think. Well, pre, pre-Torres Dottir, 
concussion, right? That's like a that's like a different world. That Mielda Torristotta yeah. pre-concussion but, days were But they played at right back and left back as well. So it's kind of weird then when you watch them both play at centre back, like without Magda and Millie there to support them. Um I mean I think it'll be interesting from a Chelsea perspective. I'm quite keen to see how it goes because I feel like I've kind of personally written off Maren Mielda's Chelsea career. Not because I don't think like I don't think she's going. They've obviously extended her contract and stuff, but I just feel like she's going to be there as, like, the wise owl that Emma Hayes wants to just, like, impart nice advice. But, like, she's going into this this tournament as as Norway's captain and, and kind of starting centre-back. So they obviously still think she can do it. So maybe I shouldn't be writing her off so much. Yeah, there, there is that. Um, but there is another Chelsea player that we, we can also talk about, which is Guru Wright. And if I'm reading the script right, Jesse, you've written here that Guru Wrighton could be the dark horse of this Norway team. Now, obviously, there's going to be lots of focus on Arda Hegerberg and Caroline Graham Hansen, but you know, Guru got two goals against Denmark tonight. Guru's had the season of her life at Chelsea, albeit at left wing back for the most part. Flo, do you think Guru's a dark horse, or do you think she's she's kind of up there in terms of the recognition that she should be getting? I think she she's getting recognition, but maybe not as much as she deserves because she's obviously in a very talented squad. And then on top of that, there were quite a few players across the league who had very good seasons. So I feel like it's all like she went unnoticed, but she probably could and would have in another season won more individual awards and things than she did. Um, so I think that's probably been the real difference with her. And I think it's been impressive how... She's bounced back after not really playing a part in the 21, sorry, in the 2020-21 season, coming off the back of uh, joining Chelsea in 1920, being really impressive from the off, really, in that first game at Stamford Bridge against Spurs, and kind of fading into the background a bit when Emma Hayes brought in a lot of new players in that summer after COVID. Um, and then this season, she's kind of been a key part basically because Hayes didn't really trust Jon Anderson in that left back, left wing back role. And she kind of thought, well, Wrighton is the perfect solution to that. She, she's aggressive on the ball. She's very good at scoring goals, but she's obviously smart defensively as well. So yeah, she's had a tremendous season and I think she'll carry that into the world cup. Sorry, not world cup. I'm jumping ahead <laughs> of myself into the euros as well. Um, and I'm excited to see her because obviously she's kind of overshadowing this team by Graham Hansen and, at Hagerberg, understandably, but she's had almost just as good seasons as those two players. So it's going to be really exciting to see her carry that form. There's a goal Norway scored tonight, which I think we might see a couple of times during the actual tournament, where basically Graham Hansen picks the ball up on the edge of the area. She plays it across as if to Hegerberg. The defenders go with Hegerberg and it rolls through to Guru right and he's unmarked and Guru like smashed it in the back of the net. And I think that's that's why I kind of think of her as being not a dark horse, but when you've got two players as good as Hegerberg and CGH to keep an eye on, it's kind of understandable that that third player who's left over is going to get more opportunities, going to be on marks. And then Guru's got so much quality, like you can't really actually afford to do that. Um, so that's kind of why I think she might actually be the player who maybe stands out more than CGH and Hegerberg. Yeah, no, that, that was kind of going to be my, my follow-up question to that. Like, do you do you think that as, as a front three, does, is Guru Wrighton like the perfect, I don't want to call her a supporting player, but kind of like in the context of the, of the front three and the importance of the other two, 
is Guru like the perfect mold of the third player in that trident, do you think, in, in terms of balance and kind of the way the other two play? Yeah, well, I guess it's kind of interesting because Norway actually play CGH as a 10 and then they have Amelie Eichelund as their like right winger. And it's like you look at those four players and you're like, one of these is the odd one out because one of them hasn't reached the Champions League final in the last two seasons. Um, so I guess Eichelund's probably the most, you know... <laughs> unheard of one there kind of understandably but I think what Guru does well as well for this Norway team and for Chelsea is she does have that versatility like she will tuck into midfield if you need her to she will offer you that defensive cover too um and I think Norway are going to need that because uh Ingrid Engen and Frida Marnham have uh, like Marin and Maria chaos vibes to them in midfield too so I think you know Guru being able to kind of tuck in and do that defensive work will be really important for Norway Fair enough. Well, let's quickly move on to the host nation that is the Lionesses in England. And I think England has, you know, Chelsea's strongest contingent. But I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how many of them will actually start and play. And at the moment, you'd like to think that it's only Millie Bright that's nailed on to start here. Um, Jesse, like, what do you think Fran Kirby offers to this England side? And, and you know, she looked good against the Netherlands. Um, but, you know, overall, do you think she, she's got a starting role in this England side or... Or, or is, it, is it just going to be a bench uh, bench, uh, bench deal? I'm really undecided on this. I can't figure it out. I thought Fran looked really good against the Netherlands, but I'm also kind of into her as this, like, super sub role to come on after 60 minutes and just, like, make stuff happen when teams are tired and maybe to have someone like George Stanway or Ella Toon who's who can, like, put in that hard work and really tire, tire someone out. But... That being said, I think Fran's clearly the most talented of any of those players who could play in the 10. So without being on Serena Wiegmann's kind of medical or conditioning team, it's kind of hard for me to judge because I just don't really know how fit she is. Um, but that I can't, yeah, I can't make up my mind. Flo, I don't know what you think. Yeah, it's a bit of both, really. I think perhaps because of her fitness and fatigue and injury issues over the last couple of years, I don't know if she's going to start as much, but I mean, that's just my assumption. I think she's kind of proven that she can, but I also think that understandably um, they're probably maybe not trying to rush her into too much of responsibility too quickly. And I think like Jesse said, like she's proven herself as a sub as, as a substitute and what she can do uh, in that kind of super sub role. So um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be interesting to see how she's utilized. I think, you know the depth is so the depth is so strong um, that I think Wiegmann can kind of look to her for whatever role she wants. Um, and she's played out wide for um, for Wiegmann. Not sure that's the best way to utilize her, um, but she's shown that she can be versatile and kind of come on and play in various different roles when required. Um, but I still think she's going to have an important role to play, even if she's not going to be starting so many games. Yeah, that was, that was kind of going to be my follow-up question to both of you. Where do you both see Fran Kirby's best position playing? Is it out on the right or is it in that number 10 position? Flo, I'll start with you very quickly. I do think as a number 10, um, but we are yet to see that much of her in that role for England and certainly under Serena Wiegmann um, because Wiegmann has so many good players to, to use and... Frank Kirby hasn't had like a long enough run and a, a run where she's been able to stay fit throughout the short time that Vigman's been here to kind of showcase where she might fit in 
to this side for a consistent amount of time. Um, but I do think she is really good in that role and she's good at linking up play. Um, but she still has that kind of aggression and that pace and that aura around her that makes her hard to play when she is out wide on, on the right-hand side. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Jesse. I think for me, with Fran at England, that number 10 has never quite fitted because I don't think in the past some of the players around her have quite been clever enough to make it work. And I think that is something that's changed within the England setup now. But, you know, like I think Ellen White's a very like static striker. You compare to someone like Sam Kerr. It doesn't surprise me that a player like Kerr, even though Kirby's on the right in that scenario, but has got the best out of Kirby and I think it's maybe less actually about whether she plays on the right or in the 10 as opposed to like who's around her because so much of what she does well is kind of her movement and the ball she's looking to play and you know really I think in the past England managers haven't necessarily had the tactical capabilities to figure out and that's that's partially because some of them weren't very good at tactics and I think also partially like the reality of when you're an international side, you don't have that same amount of time on the training pitch to make those things work. But I think the reason why Franz looked better, I think, under Wiegmann is because there is a bit more intelligence about what Fran can offer and a bit more direction to the players around her um, in terms of like bringing out the best of her in that sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. If I can give one very quick tidbit on that. I mean, like, I, I think the fact that you know, you, you, got, you guys touched upon the fact that I think Ellen White being a static striker, I think that works best in this England setup because of the fact that everybody else around Ellen White has to move around. So when you've got a Lucy Bronze underlapping, overlapping on the right-hand side, whether Kirby plays on the right or as a number 10, she's anyway going to stay in, in a bit more of a central area. Then you've got someone like Stanway or Williamson kind of stepping forward. So for Kirby, it's just, all right, be creative in these short, small spaces. You've got someone to play off of, which is Ellen White. And then you've got one of the other midfielders and, you know, someone like Lucy Bronze kind of running around. So kind of it, it kind of it creates that natural overload. So I think I think it just it works and it works in that sense. And Fran can make these like, you know, un, unexpected runs that, that teams can't catch because they've got to worry about the other two. So I think I think that makes total sense. But what do we what do we all think of the England England Norway uh, matchup flow? Like, do you, do you think that's going to be close or do you think it's going to be a runaway for one of the sides? Yeah, I think it'll be close. Um, I think obviously everything's changed quite a bit in that matchup since Hagerberg announced she was coming back to international football. I think people were fairly calm and chill about that game and probably wrongly so. I think there was probably an assumption that it was going to be easy because she wasn't playing. Um, but I think that has just changed it dramatically. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be really tough, especially if England don't do well in that first game. We'll make that second game very tense. Um and Hegerberg has proved in this season with Leon and before, but in the past, but the way she approached the Champions League final, like kind of shit talking um, and say, you know, everyone's talking about Barcelona, no one's talking about us and and that paid off. Um, and I feel like she's going to be doing the same thing in the Leops, the England game um, and trying to kind of psych them out a little bit. Um, so who knows, maybe it'll get to them a little bit. Jesse. I think I, I feel a bit more confident. <laughs> confident. I feel pretty good about this game from an English English perspective. 
I think generally, yeah, Norway, as as strong as their front three is, I think they're a bit like if you push them over, they, they fall over quite quickly. And I think, you know, England having the kind of... This is like what's weird, right? England have knocked them out the last two World Cups, but uh, England have actually never beaten them at, at Euros because basically because we just played them in, in the 80s and lost all the time. Um, so <laughs> it, I, I think... I think it will be an interesting game and I think it will be a good test like for for England in terms of being forced to kind of defend against a very, very good front three. But I do with the risk of sounding hubristic um, and I'm inviting so much hubris on me at the moment because I'm going so big on England. But I think they I think they will have too much for Norway. Fair enough. And kind of just to round it off, Austria and Northern Ireland are obviously the other two uh, countries in the group just very quickly, do you think either of them can spring a surprise? No. <laughs> yeah, Plain and I simple. don't think so. Easy. I think their best bet is just frustrating those two teams, and that's about it, really. Probably. I, I, I want to give Austria a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a, a chance because I feel like they've got a slightly underrated team. I mean, you've got players like Sarah Zadrazel and, and Laura Firesinger, you know, and Nicole Billa in that team, so... They've got some decent players. Um, I don't expect them to go through, but I do think they'll give a tough matchup to to both England and Norway uh, overall. But anyway, um, we can move on to Group B now. And uh, in here we have Denmark and Germany and and, and none other than Penela Harda and, and Katrin Berger. Um, you know, it's probably the group of death with Spain and Finland, if we can call it that. Um, kind of, who's getting out of this one? Hello? I think it's a it's a toss up really between Spain, Denmark, and Germany. No offense to Finland, um, but I think it's 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 a fight for the two two spots out of those three teams, and it's kind of crazy that we're going to lose one. Um, I think Spain obviously come into this tournament with really high stock, really high expectation, but some interesting decisions made by their coach, and whether that will come back to bite them, we wait and see. They've obviously free Sarajevo. <laughs> Yeah, literally. Um, and obviously losing Hermoso is, is a big one as well. So I, I don't know what they're going to do in that kind of central striker role. Um, but we wait and see. And I think we've seen recently in some of their games, and especially at the Arnold Clark Cup, they struggle to score goals. Um, and losing Hermoso isn't going to help that. Um, obviously have a lot of the ball. Very nice to watch, but I think that they struggle to create really clear-cut opportunities. Kind of really into Germany at the moment. Um, I didn't really give them a massive chance, maybe like six months ago. Um, but I think they've got some really exciting players, got some very good players. They're pretty well-balanced team. I think they've got a lot of weaknesses defensively, um, but midfield and forward line is incredible so i think it's gonna be really interesting to see how how they get on and obviously little peas denmark um hopefully gonna to come to bowl the party jesse jesse what about you do you think uh Penela will, will will drag her team out of the group of death i think Penela really looks like she means business i would be nervous if i was spain traveling because you know when she when she starts motoring like when those little legs start bouncing along like the little deer legs she's got, then she just zooms through players and she's been dancing to that fun Danish song. So she looks like she's having a good time. Um, yeah, I think in all the friendlies they've played, she's looked really good. Uh, she, 
The thing that's interesting for Denmark is they obviously put everything through her, which is understandable. And I think, you know, lots of people are like, why didn't she play like this at Chelsea? And it's because at Chelsea, we don't need to put everything through her. And I think broadly, that's not a bad thing because my worry for Denmark is, it's kind of like if you stop harder, you you do kind of stop Denmark. But the question is, can you stop harder? And I think the best teams probably will be able to, but you know, that I think like for a team like Spain, I feel like a lot more confident for them than maybe a team like Germany where, yeah, defensively I'm not totally convinced. Uh, but yeah, she does look when she, when she gets motoring, like there is almost no better player to watch for me in the world because she just can really like pull stuff out the bag. Oh, which is fair, which is fair. And, you, you know, I, I'm gonna, before we get into the actual question of this next point, I actually want to ask you a very quick question. Um, so I'll, I'll read the question out first. Obviously, you know, AKB doesn't seem as in the first choice set, you know, for Germany and doesn't seem like she's going to get too many minutes. But when you look at AKB versus Zachir Musevich versus Eddie Roebuck, you know, you know there's, there's a stack of best uh, choice goalkeepers at the Euros and, and, and there's a lot of really, really good goalkeepers there right now. My first question is, are we really considering Ellie Roback as the third choice goalkeeper? That's what her sh- shirt number is. I don't know. I kind of put that in as a bit tongue in cheek, but she's got the <laughs> lowest shirt number, so... True, but then doesn't she wear 20 or does she wear one for City? No, she wears like a 20 something for City. Mm, mm. Um, 20, yeah, yeah, 20 something. But it's I was not, thinking maybe it's to do it, with that. Yeah, that's what kind of what I wondered. But I don't know. Like, I think Wiegmann does really like Hannah Hampton. I wouldn't be surprised if she was the number three. I don't think that's like I necessarily, I think that's probably because they're three quite even goalies. Mm. And I also yeah. feel like with with Hampton it's like she offers something completely different so it makes more sense to kind of like throw the dice and go with her whereas Erps and Roebuck are different I think Roebuck's better with playing out from the back um, and her distribution's a little bit better but they're probably equal when it comes to shot stopping um, so yeah. I feel like with Hampton it makes sense that you just like go with something completely different in style and ability like very good distribution especially with her long balls up um and that's probably like the difference really that you'd go for yeah i think her distribution is 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 class but back to the main question best choice third choice goalkeeper jesse who who is it for you (laughs) Mm, okay it's probably not zachira i'll get rid of zachira um (laughs) it's probably akb um, it's just crazy. Like, I feel like women's goalkeeping at the moment, it's just really interesting to me because for ages, that was like the classic like problem position in women's football. And now, you know, yeah, I put this in as, as kind of tongue-in-cheek, but for Anne Katrenberger, Sachira Musevich and Eddie Roebuck all to kind of be surrounded by goalkeepers who are as good, seen as good as, if not better than them, I think just speaks to how much that position has developed as like full-time coaching has come in and and... It was obviously bullshit in the first place, but I just think it's a really nice way of kind of showing how much bullshit it was. Yeah. Slow? Um, yeah, I think it is it is really impressive to see how far that's come, even in the short space of time since the World Cup. The World Cup felt like a bit of a breakthrough moment for women's football and a moment where the criticism kind of shifted a little bit. And a lot of that is thanks to Christiana Edler's performances at, at the tournament. But... Um, 
I think all in all, the standard is, is massively changed. And that's not obviously surprising given the move towards so many of those players going full time and the coaching going full time. Um, it's probably tough for Musevich that she has to sit behind Lindell because she probably deserves uh, a number one spot at, you know, uh, in a national team. Um, and it's probably weird for Chelsea fans that neither of their goalkeepers are going to probably be getting any minutes at this tournament. Um, but there is something still a little bit chaotic about AKB. And I think she is sort of reaching that weird hill where you kind of start to fall down the other side a little bit. Um, and there becomes like before it was like, 90% good times, 10% chaos. Now we're shifting towards like a 70-30 balance a little bit. And then perhaps in six months or a year's time, it might be like 60-40, then we're at 50-50. I think Emma Hayes is starting to trust her less and less and less. And even though Musevich has a slightly quirky blog and social media presence, <laughs> she's still um, pretty uh, pretty solid uh, when it comes to kind of like games and and keeping a, a a cool head so i don't know i'm leaning towards musevich as as that top top pick wow now. all right the hipster choice it's the blogs it's the blogs that got to me. <laughs> should, should, should i just say ali roebuck just to have a third different <laughs> opinion just just for that just for the sake of it no, it's weird because i was thinking about it like you just said like chelsea have neither their keepers starting and they're like a top team like i'm trying to think of is there any other team in europe that has both their goalkeepers in the national setup, but are not playing. Like, I think obviously Roebuck at City is only one. I don't think I don't think their second or third choices. Well, is, Kiara is Keating is either. looking very rubbish at the England under nineteen team. Yes, I don't think Karim Benimutayem is getting any minutes for France this summer. <laughs> yeah, and obviously you got Zinsberger and 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 Lydia Williams for Australia and. And Austria, but but anyway, it's it's an interesting debate, and it's it's just really cool to see that you know, um, Chelsea have essentially two, though maybe at the opposite ends of their career, the technically starting level goalkeepers um, available to them. But anyway, well before we get into Group C, we'll just quickly take a quick ad break, and we'll be right back. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG One because well. It's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in, you know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat. And now we gotta add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it, it, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. 
To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we're back. So thanks to our sponsors for for that, um, you know, for financially supporting the show. And listen, we're going to be continuing to cover the men and women's scenes throughout the summer. So keep updated to everything that's going on. We've got some great content planned. And, uh, you know, we, we, we hope to keep bringing that. And, and who knows, maybe we bring breaking news, signings, all that good stuff. So we'll, we'll be around. We'll be around. Um, group C. Um you know, as has Sweden and the Netherlands, and obviously we just touched upon uh, Zachira, uh, of which you know is she's she's alongside Magda Eriksson for Sweden, and obviously Anik Nawa is there for the Netherlands. So Anik had a very rough time against England last week, but you know she got a goal against Belarus, and and the Netherlands defense is looking very leaky, and and it's you know it, it doesn't it looks like the shadow of the side that was there three four years ago in in the last uh, in the last Euros. What's what's going on, Jesse? I mean, do you have any idea why they've kind of regressed at least defensively and then maybe Mark their attacks not looking if you're as listening. Sack him. <laughs> <laughs> it's been five minutes. Well, but it happened for Serena, isn't it? Like it's actually a Serena issue. No, it did it did does, start it it did start me... under Serena because it started at the Olympic Games. That was like the beginning yeah. of the end, wasn't it? Yeah. I think the Netherlands, you know, defensively have kind of had quite a few players age out, and then you've got people like obviously Aronique and then like Lynn Vilms and players like that who are coming in and I don't necessarily know if this is quite their level yet you know for like I think Anik had a really good season at Chelsea but it does seem kind of wild to me that she's like a like there's a lot a lot of pressure on her and she really wilted in that in that England game yeah I think we saw some signs of that at the Olympic Games as well but I would say I think it's the same with Berger in the mistakes that she's made at Chelsea this season and the way that influenced the defensive line in front of her and the the mistakes that then came from from them. I think it's the same with Holland. Sari van Wienendal is just so accident That is prone. chaos. And so, so all over the place. I think that influences her back line as well. And I think that's kind of feeding into it. And I think that's not the root of all the issues because I think you're right I think there's inexperience there I think there's players players playing out position um I've seen that with with Bloodworth as well he's had to play out of position recently so I think that's part of the issue as well um but I certainly think having a slightly erratic goalkeeper at the moment is not helping things yeah and I think generally you know especially then when you've got young players you really actually want someone who's not erratic behind them to kind of to kind of keep them in in check uh that being said i kind of feel like it's very hard to write off the netherlands just because there's so much attacking talent there and i think they're quite lucky with their group because even if they lose to sweden like they're still going to get out of the group and then then it's kind of everything's playful when you're just in those knockout games so i i picked midamar as my golden boot winner today so i've got to back and the i think that c that cd half of the draw is is a little bit kinder than the AB side of the draw, I think, when you I get to so. that when you get to that next phase. So they probably lucked out by by having that because I don't think many people 
and even more so after that performance uh, against England. I think many people rate them particularly highly going into this tournament because since Parsons came in, they've kind of regressed even more than was there were signs of towards the end of Wiegmann's tenure. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether they kind of prove a lot of people wrong by having a slightly more favourable draw or they totally collapse uh, and don't even get out of the group and kind of, you know, stick a few nails in a already collapsing coffin. I think also some of the players seem a little bit fed up, you know, in some of the tough results that they've had under Parsons. There's been some interesting comments, I think, from some of the squad. It kind of feels like they're all a little bit like, it's like kind of like they've broken up with an ex and they're still longing for their ex, a.k.a. Serena Wiegmann. Um, that's kind of the vibe I get at the moment. It's like... But Serena's obviously... got new girlfriends now. Exactly. Sorry, guys. Serena's got a new hot babe. Because um, it was obviously a really emotional goodbye for them at the, at, the, at the Olympics. Like, really emotional. The whole squad were in tears. They didn't want her to go. They wanted to see through that project by winning something again together. And I feel like they haven't got over her departure. And it feels like there's a bit of resistance as well to to uh, to Parsons. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how they get on. So is that a Parsons issue or is that a squad issue then? Bit of both, I think. Bit of both. Bit of, yeah, bit of both. So, but anyway, um, you know, obviously speaking of top teams in this group, Sweden got a really good 3-1 win over Brazil. Are we calling them the favourites here to win the whole thing, Jesse? I'm not because I'm backing England. <laughs> But I think they might be if I wasn't English. Um, I think I have question marks over Sweden in an attacking sense, although the win over Brazil kind of did something to... I was all ready to like write a piece about how Sweden were attacking frauds and then they did that, so that's annoying of them. Um, but I feel like they've got a good, easy group. I actually now kind of think that from a Sweden perspective, Group C might kind of be the easiest, given how leaky the Netherlands have been. It feels like you've got three quite simple games there. And then as Flo said, getting to play the second team in Group D as your quarterfinal is much nicer than what that Group A and B teams have. So I do think in the international tournaments, like you you can't overlook like the how hard your games are and how that can really impact like what you go on to do in a tournament. And the fact that Sweden could be in a semi-final having played four kind of simple games, I think will be a huge benefit when they come up against, you know, like if you run through the bracket, it could be England, like in that semi-final and England might have had to play, you know, maybe a tricky game against Norway and then probably what would be a very hard quarter final against Germany or Spain say so you know I think they definitely have the benefit of like quality experience and a nice run to to go far but I think generally I feel like there's lots of teams in the Euros who are at quite a similar level so it's hard to pick an out and out favorite but you have to have Sweden up there as one of them yeah no I, I think I think that makes sense and and kind of you know we're talking about this group I mean maybe for, I think for Sweden it might be three three relatively easy games but for the Netherlands I think I think I think Switzerland could could get one over the Netherlands and maybe sneak into that second spot. I mean, you look at that team, they've got some decent players. Obviously, we've got obviously ex-Chelsea player Ramona Bachmann in there with the Swiss. Obviously, you've got Anna Maria Kornogorsovic over there as well. And there's a couple of decent young players there. So, I mean, it isn't out of the realm of reality that, that Switzerland take that second spot. You know, they get a win over Portugal. And even if they get a, a draw against Sweden... You know there is there is there is a chance that they could take that second second spot. But you know, speaking of Switzerland, you know, Flo, do you think Switzerland can have an impact in this group at all, or am I just 
kind of you know making things up here i think it relies massively on the fitness of leah volte i think she is so important to that team and i don't think it's looking good um i think they're trying to rush her through to see if she can she can make it in time but she might not even step on the pitch um so we saw what happens when they don't have her and they got absolutely smashed by germany uh so yeah i am not feeling that hopeful unless they can get Leah Volte fit, basically, is is gonna be the, the main challenge. Jesse. Yeah, I'm with Flo. I don't think they're gonna do much in this group. Um do you think Ramona will do something? They'd have to get her the ball first. I mean, look, again, that's like a player who <laughs> that's a player who's always gonna you know, like it's true for Anna Maria. I'm not gonna say her last name because I can never say it. You know, there are quality players on that team, but I don't they're old as well. That team is old. Like, again, AMC and Ramona, like, they're good, but, like, they're 30. So, no, I think... Hey, I'm 30. I mean, I'm not... I'm not. Yeah, old. but I wouldn't back you to do much in the Euros either, Abdullah. <laughs> oh, I can. I'm just generally saying from an age perspective. Um... No, that's that's fair. I, I I can I can see I can see your point there. Um, but listen, hey, listen. It's also worth keeping an eye on both ex Chelsea player Ana Borges and Inés Pereira, the Portuguese goalkeeper. You know, I think she had an immense game when Servette visited uh, Kings Meadow. What do we do? We have any thoughts? Yeah, and hopes you know on, what? On you reminded me about that. That was a that was a great performance. Um, Jesse was sweating during that game. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, it's been really tough for Portugal, obviously been thrown into it last minute, which was a bit of a mess up, really. Like they could have had a much, they could have had so much longer to prepare. Um, I think they're going to struggle, but, you know, it's it's cool to have them in the tournament. Um, I just wish they'd given, they'd been given a little bit more time to prepare and actually been included in the Panini sticker book because I have to order them directly from Panini, which is a bit sad. That is the biggest, tra- aside from the Lionesses not releasing a Euro song, that's the second biggest travesty, I think, of the tournament so far. Oh, well. See, I don't have those things yet, so I can't even get involved yet. Uh, you're missing out. I have, to, I have to base. And no, I've, see, I've got to bring all this to the country here, so I need to, I need to do some more campaigning, campaigning out here. But listen, let's quickly run into the last group, Group D. Um, and and we have uh, you know our first and only participant of Group D, and it just so happens to be our very recent signing of Yves Perisset, or Perisset as as it's supposed to be called. I don't understand how that works, but anyway, uh, playing for France. Um, I think let's be real. This kind of, this group kind of feels the most open. France arguably supposed to be the best team, but then there's such a live wire. You could literally get anything out of France. You could you could get. You know, them losing every game. You can get them winning every game. You can get a 50-50 performance. Obviously, Italy have some decent players. Iceland have one or two good players. And then, obviously, Belgium Belgium are in there as well. Jesse, what are we expecting from France? You know, like we said, there's lots of models seem to to really like them. But um, there's a lot of off-field issues there that might, uh, you know, that might throw throw them off their game. But if we're talking about a team that can, that can deal with off-field issues, I would think it's France. Well, no, my hot take is they're going out in the group stage. So I'm going to carry oh, that on. Is a big, that is a big hot my, take. My um, belief this Euros is I'm just going to throw out 
hot takes because I feel like what's the point of enjoying a summer tournament if you just can't come out with like taking Flo's crown yeah exactly yeah I'm coming for Flo's crown (laughs) yeah no we'll be king and queen together um beautiful royal family uh no I don't know I just think they will probably win the thing now and I'll look really stupid but I think it's fun to come up with stupid stuff so I'm just gonna say I just feel like that team puts me on edge and they've had some decent results recently, but they're playing all these like friendlies against like really easy teams. It's like, it's great. Like you smash Cameroon, but like mm. what is Cameroon? And they've got, they've got um, a game against Vietnam, haven't they as well? Yeah, exactly. Is not, like, 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 is that the game in the world? Yeah. Uh, th- the only thing that happened in that Cameroon game that really made me laugh is how Sissoko came on at like 60 minutes and still got sent oh, off, which is like the no. most how Sissoko thing in the she world. She can't stay on the pitch. She's allergic to it. Um, my, my take isn't as hot as Jesse's. I, I, I don't think they're going to win it. I know a lot of people think that they have a, a decent charge. I think the off-field stuff is going to tear them apart from the inside. Um, I, I think they're going to be good, but not good enough. Uh, and I think... They've got a bit of a gaping hole in midfield. Obviously, their attacking players are unbelievable, like so, so good. But I just don't think that's enough to carry them through. Uh, But I do think they'll get out of the group. I do think they'll get out of the group. So I think they've got enough there, but I don't think they're going to win it. No, I I agree. I was going to bring that up. I think think up front, they've got a selection of players. Obviously, you've got Katoto, you've got Cascarino, you've got Basha, you've got Baltimore, you've, you've got Diani. You've got like four or five you know, class players up there. And at the back, you've got, you know, Renard, Embark, Tunkara, uh, Karshawi, Perise, you know, uh, you know, Bashik. Don't Bert, read all these well. names out, so, Abdullah, because it's making me feel shit about my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, 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 patch, it's patching it together. It's keeping it together. And we know what happened last time in their major tournament. Like, yeah. obviously, they came so close to beating the USA, and that was amazing. And on another day that night, they would have, could have won that match but at the same time we know what happened off the pitch there it was miserable it was bad vibes it was bad culture and the same managers there the same wild decisions are being made um I, i just that you can't you can't ignore that so unless they can cultivate something completely different with the same setup and culture i would be surprised if they can do that no no I'm I'm agreeing, and I'm, what I'm what I'm saying is like that midfield is actually arguably worse than it was at the 2019 World Cup. So if they got that far with the 2019 World Cup with that midfield, and they're going regressed almost with that same midfield, it, you you lose. We've seen it, you know, whether it's international or domestically. If you don't have a midfield, you can have a defense or an attack. You can't you can't win. You're you're gonna get overrun. I mean. I think Clara Matera is great, but it's Charlotte time Bilbao for the mighty Kenza Dali to step up to the Kenza plate. Dali. It's unbelievable as well that she is, you know, she's the favoured player there when she's arguably had probably one of the worst seasons of her career, being part of yeah. a, a setup that's probably somehow worse than Diacris France <laughs> culture. That's, that is um, rubbish. Going from Everton to France, like that's not. A I good know, year. right? That's pretty miserable year. So. I mean, I think that speaks volumes, the fact that an aging Kenza exactly. Dali, who's had probably one of the worst since her career, is starting in the Euros, given the depth that French women's football has right now. Just odd decisions. And I think you can't you can't see past yeah. that. You can't do that. But but anyway, who's getting who's getting second in this? Because I think I think between Italy, Iceland, Belgium, I, I, I mean, for me personally, I think Italy just about edges that. But 
Iceland, Belgium have a couple of decent players in there. I think, unfortunately, this is going to be quite a boring group to watch. Um, we've <laughs> yeah. not, outside of France, we've got not Well, got a Iceland lot of... are all sold out, so. True, <laughs> actually. That's it's impossible be... to get a ticket to Iceland, so. That's the... That's the... Hey, Sarah, Bjork, Sarah Bjork made a made a big, big noise. Yeah, about. so exactly. that's, the hot, that's the hot ticket in town. But I think it's going to be a pretty low-scoring group outside of France's games. I think it's going to be kind of a battle and who can get enough draws and get through um with by the skin of their teeth to get that second place um i think it's gonna be hard for whoever gets that second place in the quarterfinals whoever they face um yeah i think it's kind of a much for muchness on the on the rest of the three in that group i think you're right abdul like it's pretty open on who could get that second place um so kind of good luck to him that's what i say (laughs) fair enough but hey listen that wraps up the four groups um Kind of let's quickly look at the runs of the final. I mean, like we said, winner of Group C plays the runner-up of Group D. The winner of Group A plays the runner-up of Group B. And then Group D plays the runner-up of Group C. And then the winner of Group B plays the runner-up of Group A. And obviously, you go into the quarters and semifinals. Predictions, who's in the final and who's winning the final? Jesse, I'll start with you first very quickly. So I think my prediction is, well, is it my prediction or is it just what I want? But maybe what I want should be my prediction. Uh, and what I want is England to play Spain in the final and then England to win and then Alexei Vitesse to cry. So <laughs> that's what I'm going for. England, Spain in the final, England to win. It's going to be an amazing, beautiful day. Flo? Yeah. Um, okay. So so you're going for both England and, and Spain to top their groups then in order to meet in yes. the final right and i'm saying spain will beat the netherlands in the milson Keane semi-final and england will beat sweden in the sheffield semi-final those are some tasty semi-finals um yeah wow oh man i just don't i don't know if spain are gonna get to the final you know i've kind of yeah just i just don't know but i do think england are gonna win it obviously i think england are gonna get to the final i think england are gonna win the whole thing who they beat in the final don't really care whoever is going to well, be. It doesn't anyway. matter. So it doesn't yeah. matter. They're just going to win the whole thing. But I <laughs> come at us. Best eleven. Rest of Europe. I best think... eleven. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. You can create whatever team you want. We'll still win. Um, I think I'm going to sort of go for similar to Jesse, but I'm going to say Germany are going to win Group B, and I think it'll be an England Germany final, which will be iconic. Old rivals. I think I think England will win. I I that was my prediction as well. I think it's going to be England Germany and. I have a vested interest in, in England winning, but I think, I, but genuinely, I think, I think England, I think England can win it. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I think England Germany goes goes to that final, and and it's and it's anybody's game from there because I think both teams have some fantastic players, and and I think both teams, if you look through the squad, they've got a really balanced team and a lot of depth. Both teams have a decent amount of depth. Yes, we we put question marks over Germany's defense, but they're they're not bad players. Like it's not like you look at France's midfield and Germany's defense. You're like, I take Germany's defense over France's midfield. Let me put it that way. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's that's my final as well. And kind of very quickly, kind of check in on on the Concacaf because we've obviously got a couple of players there as well. Kadisha Buchanan and Jesse Fleming are playing uh, for Canada there, and it kind of also acts as a World Cup qualification. Um, and they both recently got their their hundred cap. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got Canada, Costa Rica, Panama and Trinidad and Tobago uh, as, as that group. So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they play there and, and hopefully 
they both uh, they both reach the world qualify for the World Cup by topping the group. You know, we'll be you know we'll be checking in a couple of times during the tournament to make sure you know so make sure you listen to us and see how the Chelsea players are doing over there. But you know what? That kind of brings us to the end of the episode. Flo, thank you again for joining us. Um, it's always it's always a pleasure. It's always a fun one to come on. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it was good fun. Um, and I look forward to seeing England win the Euros. <laughs> yeah, and, and Jesse, thank you once again, as always. But anyway, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye.